Welcome to Healthcare Experience Matters. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation and is dedicated to transforming the healthcare experience so that every person can receive and deliver the best care. We invite you to learn more by visiting healthcareexperience.org. Well, welcome to Quiet Quitting. We're excited that you're here, this live learning event today. It's a hot topic. We know that many of you I have signed up with specific requests of things that you'd like to hear and learn about today. And I'm thrilled to be with you. I'm Brooke Billingsley, and I'm going to be your facilitator for this jam-packed 30 minutes. Um, My background is 25 years in healthcare, and I have a passion for helping improve the perceptions of the patient experience, but more than that, employee and physician engagement. And through my 25 years, I've done a lot of sitting bedside with patients and really understanding what they're experiencing. Um, And that has translated into coaching and learning, um, micro learning for nurse residencies. And so we bring you this webinar today because we we know this is a vital, urgent scenario that's happening across healthcare uh, with quiet quitting and with staffing issues. And so I'm so excited to have my, I call my colleague and my good friend, Carl Ulrichs with us today. Um, I've known Carl for Oh, 20 years, probably. Uh, Carl and I met through National Speakers Association, and Carl has been speaking on HR topics for a long time and has honed his craft into being a human capital expert. He speaks frequently at SHRM events, and I put down, for those of you who aren't familiar with that acronym means, Society for Human Resource Management. And uh, Carl is a unique guy. He is a life learner. He is in a growth mindset. When we have lunch together, we talk about what we've read recently or what we've experienced. And so I always walk away with some new insight. And he still owns the first car he ever drove, a Model T Ford. And he has visited all 50 states. Welcome, Carl. And I'm working on Canadian provinces now. All right. (laughs) Branching out. Well, and I think a key point, for our time together today is I am not a theoretical person. I am actually a functioning HR person who works in and around multiple medical clients. Um, and so I tend to be more tactical than I am strategic. Yeah. And what I like is that you have those real life experiences of going into some scenarios that have been challenging at best. Oh, yeah. You've walked away with some great outcomes. And I'm married to a nurse. There you go. Thank you. Well, we're excited. Um, So our agenda today is what is the impact of quiet quitting? What is your role in preventing quiet quitting? How do you prioritize some steps to prevent that happening at your organization? And then what kinds of solutions are available to you beyond today? And so we're going to get real tactical and give you some, um, you know, first steps, things that you can do immediately after this uh, session so that you really have something to apply. And I think that's probably the most important because you've all come here and, and your time is valuable. And we want you to get something out of it. Well, so first, I always like to start with what is quiet quitting? It's, you know, we hear these new terms. We've got uh, new lingo, new languages that have come out post-COVID. And so really quiet quitting is uh, just a new term for an old behavior. And the authors, uh, Jack Zinger and Joseph Folkman, say that the data indicates, indicates that quiet quitting is usually less about the employee's willingness to work harder and more creatively and more about a manager's ability to build a relationship with their employees where they are not counting the moments until they quit. When quiet quitting hit, I 
kind of liked the term because it explained behaviors I was seeing. As I thought about it, I didn't like the term because it was kind of implying blame on the employee that they're doing something wrong. When, as I reflected, it's maybe that we aren't being good bosses. Mm, yeah, very good. And the interesting part about quiet quitting is that um, we know that it spreads. And so if somebody is quitting in your organization, is it contagious? And they say, yes, it is, because people look around and they go, well, why am I still here if everyone's still leaving? And they also see that people have disengaged. And so someone's asked, well, what's the difference between a quiet quitter and a disengaged person? Well, they're they're loud and disgruntled usually. Quiet quitters are the ones that are kind of evaluating and feeling that cultural impact that they're feeling on that maybe unit or department that they're in. And they're saying to themselves, I'm still here. Why is everybody leaving? It's almost as if the the giving up happens before the quiet quitting. Would you agree, Carl? There's a term. Yeah, short answer. Yes. Okay. Longer answer. We've always had the term absenteeism. Um, I'd like to throw the new term over the wall of presenteeism. Okay. Where they show up, but they're not there. Or they show up, but they're doing minimalist things where they'll 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 go passive aggressive on you and say things like, well, you didn't, you know, you, they bring back a document that they followed your instructions to the letter. You didn't say to staple it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I often hear that critical thinking skills are missing, that people are just doing the bare minimum, right? Well, critical thinking skills are missing from a large part of our population. It's not just your employees. Well, and we took an assessment before we um, wanted to throw to have this webinar, and we asked people, you know, what were they experiencing, and and they're experiencing four months to get someone up to a workable employee that's valuable because of all the training involved when you bring someone on site. So, so when we look at um, quiet quitting and people leaving. Um, it's it's exhausting for those that are managing because they it, they feel like they're starting over from scratch and, and, and in essence they are in building the team but also getting people up to to the level that they need of the skill sets required in healthcare which are vital it's it's not like any other industry I mean lives depend on your skill sets being at that level and so it's exhausting for managers who feel like they're they feel like they're doing everything and so hopefully today we can give them some insights on maybe being more self-aware of things that they could be doing that they didn't know. And not meaning to give away one of the punchlines here, but the more you keep your good people, the less you have to hire and train. Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes people don't weigh the expense of all of that interviewing and onboarding and labor intensive time to what that means when they leave and you start over. Um, fully engaged RNs are 61% more likely to stay. Uh, 17% is the current RN vacancy rate right now. Um, less than a quarter of organizations anticipate reducing the reliance on agency staff, which is uh, a huge um, element in the healthcare environment financially and um, morale and um, team building because you have all of these agency nurses coming in and different levels of teamwork that are happening or not happening. And then we talk about why people stay. You know, 
it gets back to autonomy and connectiveness, confidence and compet and incompetence in that they feel a part of the team and that they can do a good job and that they have some type of purpose at the end of the day. And so we talk about the plan, the pre-hire, the first 90 days, the first 12 months, the first three years. Interesting, Carl, I remember a CNO telling me at a large health system that they hired a new nurse manager for oncology. And basically, the onboarding was um, interviewed, hired, went through a little bit of orientation, and then just pushed out to the unit. Um, no one's checking in. No one's coming back 90 days. No one's helping. No one's evaluating. Um, six months later, nine employees have left. Nine yeah. in that oncology department have left. Right. No, no exit interviews are happening. No conversation with that manager to find out, hey, maybe that style of that manager is not working. What what happened? Because we just lost nine nurses. Yeah. And so when you look at uh, that whole process of hiring and onboarding, um, you know, what what can you give to the audience right now listening that is just vital? Oh, uh, well, first, a quick disclaimer. Most exit interviews, the person who's leaving just wants out of the room and they will lie and say it's the money just because they don't want to get into any of this other stuff. They just want out. Mm. Um, just don't lower your standards when you hire and don't skip onboarding with the people you think are already pretty savvy, they need to know your culture. They need to know your process. They need to know how you how you board data. They uh, they need to come in feeling they're being invested in too. So if somebody comes in agency or if somebody comes in with good experience, they still need that onboarding. Mm -hmm. They still need to be aware of the culture. That's point number one. Point number two, hire for values. Hire for alignment with who you are as a medical operation. Uh, here in Indianapolis, I don't know, back 15, 20 years ago, there was a proposed merger of two hospital systems. Financially, it made sense. Culturally, it did not. And they wisely didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. So, so what are we finding is the impact of quiet quitting? Oh, it's huge. Mm -hmm. um, well, we see it everywhere outside of our employment. Uh, I stopped at Starbucks the other day and it was a mess. Mm -hmm. uh, people who were not aligned with the customer experience of Starbucks. And if you take that inside our facilities where I am changing, uh, I know it's peripheral to this, but I'm changing dentists, not because of the quality of the medical services, but because I was dissatisfied with the patient experience mm -hmm. at, at my dentist. And where I went, they've got it figured out. They're, they're, they're fully staffed. The, the team is engaged. They're helping each other. They're talking to each other. You can just tell that they're connected. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you walk into a I'll just use a restaurant as experience. I, I went to a restaurant and I too am in Indianapolis and it was packed and it was fully staffed and they were a cohesive team that really worked together. And you're like, yep. how is this different than all the other experiences I'm having around town? And next door, there's a similar operation that is going out of business. Yeah. And it's, if you drill into it, it's because the people in charge don't know how to be good bosses. Mm. 
Great. And then they're not engaged. Then they're not. Um, I wanted to throw a little data in from an HR standpoint. This is pretty live data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. This isn't a new phenomenon. Right. This whole great resignation and quiet quitting has been going on. See the top line, the darker line? The Bureau of Labor Statistics tracks resignations. They track, they call it quits. And and here's the health services quits rate over everybody else's quits rate. Notice it started back when we came out of the last recession Mm. and people started realizing that work-life balance was important. Um, then we had the blip from 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 COVID, and it's right back up. But this this is not a new thing, right? Yeah, it's costing money, and it's time consuming. And um, I hear frequently that it's a long term goal to get back to where we were. It's not going to happen overnight. But there are some things that you're going to share that we can do immediately if we right. are leading people. Yep. So because. Yeah, you talk about performance and resignation. Yes. In general, what's going to get us out of this? uh, Okay, we have to balance being consistent with being fair. Mm -hmm. As, As a leader, as a boss, we have to be both fair and consistent. Those are different things. And especially nursing staffs are hyper aware of things that aren't fair and things that aren't consistent. And we have to walk on this knife edge where we maintain a balance between those two issues. But this is, as a leader, the most challenging time of our lifetimes because we are in a new world. This is a clean sheet of paper. We don't have precedents. We don't have patterns. Uh, We try to follow best practices. We can't because all the best practices are from Mm pre-COVID. We have to go to next practices. We have to figure out where we need to be next. And what's the impact? We talk about the impact of people resigning and leaving your organization. It, it all depends on how your organization, your facility tracks the key metrics. Is it is it the patient experience? Is it financial? Is it operational? But we aren't tracking how we're being tested mentally, how we're being tested emotionally and socially and physically. This is where burnout comes in. Um, and and I, would, I would add, Carl, that, you know, one of the things that um, in my age group, we've experienced a few other uh, contagions that happened before us, Ebola and different uh, ones. Some of the newer leaders and newer nurses had never experienced anything like this before. And oh, so and we, by we the, had to see a lot of anxiety and, and really it hit them emotionally. No, that's exactly right. Um, and everyone around us is watching us as the grown-ups in the room mm-hmm. on how we respond. And so it's the old kind of a Zen question. If you appear to be brave, are you brave? Yeah, you are. So I'm not saying this is all an acting job, but I'm saying we have to remember, just like parents with kids, they're watching us. Mm-hmm. And if we are not ethical, if we are not fair and consistent, uh, they disconnect. You know, they don't trust us. Let's agree that the way we're going to get out of this is by maintaining consistent, fair and communication channels between everyone on our team. 
And we want to do it in a way that doesn't involve having another app on your phone or some new high-tech program. Here's what you do. Every Monday morning, now, you could do it every other Monday, but every Monday morning, print an Excel spreadsheet with four columns in it. And this Excel spreadsheet gets into your pocket or your clipboard that you're working, and it's your scorecard and your reminder of intentional communication for this next week. In the sheet, we've got first column, everybody's name that is important to the proper functioning of your unit. Might include some people outside your unit. Could even include people in your family. But the person I learned this from, he had about 35 names. Second column is what dialect do they speak? By that, I mean, what's their style? Are they, are they logical? Are they feeling in fairness? Are they... Uh, you know, are they what what is their preferred communication style? Are they an introvert or an extrovert? If you know an assessment tool that would give that information, such as DISC or Myers-Briggs, you can use those codes or you can just use codes to yourself on, on what is this? How does this person like to communicate? Because we have to be adaptable and meet them. You know, if, if, if they're here and you're here, you got to bridge that gap 100%. You have to go to their level if you really want to meet them. Okay. Third column, what are they interested in as a human outside of work? Are they into knitting? Are they into pickup trucks? Uh, do they like to go camping or, you know, cats, cats, cats? It's never just one cat. Um, you know, who are they as a human? Okay. The fourth column is when you check them off that you had a private minute or two minute or longer interaction with them where you made eye contact, you heard what they had to say, and you asked an amazing question. After you've talked about you know their weekends briefly or their cats or their truck, to make eye contact as their key contact, as their boss, here's, here's the one that my boss just used amazingly with me. He would ask, is there anything I should know? Mm. Yeah. No, we're fine. Well, yeah, there is. In that meeting last week, you stepped on my toes when you said this, and that was a trigger word that you, you offended me. Mm -hmm. Wow. If you hadn't asked that question, a high performer might be in an exit interview in a week saying it's the money, mm. but they didn't feel they had a channel. They didn't feel they had a trusted relationship with a boss they respected. Awesome. So yeah. this, this is, I think, the, the, the quickest. If you wanted to do one thing this week that would engage and not cost money, I asked my boss, I said, isn't you got 35 people there? You don't have time for this. And he smiled and said, You don't understand. If I don't do this, my world ends because I get surprised. This means there's no surprises. And I have been with leaders who have walked down hallways. I've been with chief financial officers who've walked down hallways and knew everyone they interacted with by name 
and yep. ask a question about a relative. I, I mean, I was just like, are there cats? Oh my gosh. It was so personalized. Yeah. Right. The yeah. And it's, thing, it's I, not I, fake. People right. get used to the boss approaching them on a regular basis and appearing to listen. Yes. Um, and, it bal- and it balances, you know, you can't always, um, you can't always go out on the unit or the floor when there's an issue because no. I might associate you with pain and punishment, right? Never going right. to associate you with a, a relationship or communication. The other thing I wanted to share was that I have heard organizations say, don't have meetings about a low performer and, and share it with everyone. Have that one-on-one or one to two person meeting of the low performer that needs correction, course correction versus applying that. And Oh, yeah. Well, and also this will mean you don't skip the high performers because a lot of times we'll spend the time with the low performers and really irritate the high performers because they're not getting any attention. They want love too. You have, it's it's human nature to skip interaction with the high performers because they're fine. Yeah. No, they need, they're the ones you have, as was pointed out to me, you don't need to spend time with everybody. Just spend time with the ones you want to keep. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. We kind of put them off on their own. Think they'll just, they're they're just doing well and they'll always be fine. They can move. They're free to move about the cabin. The seatbelt light is off. And so we've got to keep every emotional hook into them. We can and regular listening, intentional listening is the short answer to this issue of quiet quitting. And would you add that when you're having conversations with employees and they bring up an issue or something to you, that follow through is so important in establishing and and making that relationship solid? Just checking back a week later to see if it's resolved is a behavior they have never gotten. They don't get that at home. They They didn't get that at their last job. They'll stick around longer for a boss that appears to listen. So, Carl, one of um, April, who has a unit of 100 plus people, what strategy would you give for a hospital unit that has 100 plus people? Dividing the among nurse managers or assistant nurse yep. managers? Yep. Let's go down a level with this. Um, every group, psychologically, every group that gets above about 30 to 40 people subdivides into two groups. There seems to be a break point psychologically, about 30 or 40 people, they, they, a group of 100 will have two or three subgroups. Have the leaders of those subgroups practice what I'm preaching. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the one first priority is that relationship building, create a method to go and interact with them um, to make sure you understand what's happening. And that, that first priority then is to create a system to do that, right? Yep. So organizations who are a part of this right now, who, um, what would be some early signs of quiet quitting? What, what could they have a heads up for um, to be aware and, and create a greater awareness? Oh, watch out for sarcasm and watch the humor. Any, uh, and, and nurses are famous for dark humor. Uh, pay attention to the cartoons that are put up or the quotes that are put up and pay attention to the humor because whatever they say when they're telling a joke, they mean it. They mean every word of it. Mm, Okay. Yeah. And would you find that if they stopped participating or they just um, weren't where they weren't engaging in conversations when you were having huddles or meetings, that that would be an opportunity then to uh, elicit their uh, insights and valuable input again, if they've been, if they've participated prior to. Well, two things. First off, recognize some people are introverts. Right. 
And that's just, they can be perfectly engaged and not be talkative. Um, But that's, are we allowed to pull people aside and say, is there anything I should know? Yeah. Yeah, we we should. Yeah, my cat died. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, things are happening in their life and it's important to know. Yeah, my uncle got out of jail and he's living with us and it's just a mess at home. Well, Carl, we like sped through this really quickly because it's 1128, but- I know. I so appreciate you, Carl, and your expertise oh. and sharing um, what you know and what you've seen work out in the uh, field because you're out there daily. And so um, I just and I and I really appreciate your friendship. So thank I you. I always enjoy our time together. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. To learn more, please visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.